And now, coming to you live from the Antipodes and from the gentle shores of Lake Superior, it's Jonathan Strand and Gary K. Wolf on the Coos Street Gut Blast! Well, in the first place... Yeah, it's Lake Michigan, isn't it? It's Lake Michigan. Lake Superior is Cleveland. I don't care. It's all the same. We can start over. Should we do that bit again? No, we're not going to start over again. I want you to live with the embarrassment. I mean, it's okay. If I'd started it, I probably would have said antipodes. <laughs> But, well, we can't spend our entire lives in the Gershon room, Gary. No, we, we probably should get down some. Um, there is... What was I thinking about George Gershwin? I don't know. George Gershwin, this is a piece of trivia for our listeners. There is a recent fantasy novel um, in which George Gersh, a George Gershwin song plays a role. And it is, I just remembered, a novel by Joe Walton called The Philosopher Kings. Ah, yes. This is the second in her series, and which, incidentally, coincidentally, is a forthcoming book. There you go. Nice segue there, Gary. Oh, it's not a good segue. I, I, I thought about that <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> I can tell. So, dear listeners, yes, this episode is the second in our continuing series of forthcoming books episodes where we give you shopping lists of things we think you ought to read. Um, based on the quarterly Locus forthcoming books issue. Normally, our special guest would be the wonderful Liza Tromby, editor-in-chief of Locus magazine. But unfortunately, she's not available tonight. So we are going to continue and occasionally we'll, well, mention again that you can get the full list with, with extra secret things in it, I'm sure, uh, directly from the magazine. Particularly, Gary, because we've decided we're going to pretty much contain ourselves to talking about books published between now and Christmas. Right, because so many books are coming out next spring, but uh, again, one of the things that happens, and, and because we do hear about this from listeners occasionally, and it is something that happens with reviewers and editors, that the books we'll be reading in October through December are books from early 2016, so it's always, you always have to kind of keep in mind that the actual publication date of a book is not the date that you see it. So yes. The books I'm looking forward to, the ones I'm really excited about reading in October and December, are the ones coming out January through March. That's true. However, as far as we're concerned, we're not going to do that to our readers, are we? Our listeners, I mean. We're not, not going a, to not tease them with books that are coming out next year that we haven't even mentioned about, and which, incidentally, would spoil the next forthcoming books episode. Exactly. Uh, so we have to do another. These forthcoming books episodes are really important. The thing that's interesting to me when I look at the forthcoming list, and Locus, as you know, lists, there are two lists. Actually, there are like four lists, aren't there? there there's forthcoming books by author where they, where Locus, presumably Liza, uh, selects high-profile books. And then a complete list by publisher for the United States. And then the same thing for the UK. Yes, that's correct. So that's really four lists, and that's a lot of books. When I look at this... Uh, well, hang on. Every Remember year, that two of those lists are excerpted from the other two. Well, that's true. That's so it's really two long lists. But it's still an imposing list, and you realize why no one can keep up with this field anymore. Absolutely. Even with the list of books. I mean, I currently have here a list of nearly 40 books that are due out between now and Christmas that I think are of, of interest and I'm confident that it will overlook several books of interest, both that are of interest to yourself, and that would be of interest to our listeners. The other thing that occurs to me about these lists is that the only things we know to look forward to are things we either have heard buzz about or come from writers that we know. And yes. Every year, every season, there are books I've never heard of uh, that I, I wouldn't anticipate, other than the fact that maybe it's a good publisher. My, cl my classic example, because one of the books I have on um, that I am looking forward to is the Sophia Samatar novel. Well, four years ago, the name Sophia Samatar wouldn't have been necessarily something I was looking forward to. And True. That's, that, so, so what I'm saying is we cannot anticipate the great discoveries of the coming Oh, absolutely not. I mean, and if you were to sit there and try and do that, you would drive yourself mad. And, I mean, yeah. and we're going to overlook sort of books. I mean, there will be books from... I don't have any anthologies on this, Gary, not a single one. And I am sure that there will be anthologies of interest between now and the end of the year that'll be worth reading. Why haven't I done it? No particular reason. They just didn't jump out at me when I was compiling my, my version of this list. 
I think when most people think of forthcoming books, though, they think about who's writing what, what new writing. Now, some anthologies obviously are anthologies of original stories, such yeah. as the ones you do. Um, but uh, I, I, I would automatically put on a list all the best of the year anthologies, of which there are many. Twenty, uh, Gary. I mean, it's, it's impossible to keep up with those now. Yeah, we're going to have to do a best of the year anthology that just excerpts stories from the other best of the year anthologies. That probably would not be a bad idea. Maybe there's a participatory internet game that somebody could devise here. To, there's a, okay. uh, I think there's a best uh, there's there's a best YA now isn't that yes Alisa uh, Krasnostan and Julia Rios are editing um, the a year's best speculative fiction for young adults anthology series the first one cover, covering last year before last came out not terribly long ago the second one covering 2014 is due out any time now and we will have copies of that to review Gary coming soon. Huh. So, we should start. I'm going to kick off. Or, or you got something else you want to say well, before we kick off? Because you're better organized than I am at these things. Well, I, I will say that, unlike my normal list, this list is not arranged chronologically. But I'm going to start with, first of all, an overall chronological observation, and then a chronological... A first book off the ranks, chronologically speaking. So there you go. So first of all, chronologically speaking, okay. this covers the Christmas period, and there are Christmas book bestsellers in here. They're not books that I'm necessarily going to read, but they're here. You're, you're talking. Okay, go ahead. So, for example, there's a there's a new Stephen R. Donaldson book on the list, uh, uh-huh. a book called, if I recall correctly, The King's Justice, which is actually a pair of of novellas, which are being published as standalone books in the UK around the same time. There's a new uh-huh. there's a new Terry Goodkind novel coming out. There's a new George R. R. Martin collection coming out. There's a new Scott Lynch novel coming out. There's a Wheel of Time. Guide to kind of book coming out, all of which will be big Christmas books. None of those are on the list. My list, though. Wouldn't we add, um, if we're talking about scale fantasy series, wouldn't we want to add the new Stephen Erickson to that as well? It's a science fiction book, Gary. Oh, it is. Yes, it's a the, sequel to a science fiction novel. Fall of Light is a. It's, it's not. It's okay. So that's not one of the large series. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, probably the other contender, which I want to say that I'm really looking forward to, forward to it, but I have mixed feelings about, is this coming September we'll see the publication of Terry Pratchett's final novel, The Shepherd's Crown, which is the fifth of the Tiffany Aching novels. Mm-hmm. He finished it prior to his his death earlier this year. And I've got, obviously, mixed feelings about it for obvious reasons. I will certainly buy it when it comes out. I don't know if I'm going to read it. Um, I think everybody who admires and loves Terry Pratchett will probably buy it, and I think everyone will have the same kind of hesitancy about it. Possibly, um, I mean, it's 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 similar to the. Uh, I, th- I think there's another uh, uh, Pratchett and Baxter novel coming out. This there fall is as well. yes, Long Earth series, and I think if you approach those knowing that essentially these are Stephen Baxter novels. Um, Based on a night, I mean, in the first novel, certainly there were bits and pieces, I think, of recognizable Pratchett. But this is this is this is Steve Baxter writing a series that Pratchett conceived some years ago. Yeah. And if you approach it that way, Stephen Baxter is a perfectly fine writer. He's a good uh, writer. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's just a, the Pratchett voice, unfortunately, is gone. Yes, sadly. Okay, so the book I'm going to start off by recommending, I would be looking forward to it with excitement if I hadn't already read it, Gary, uh, but I think everybody listening to the podcast should be and will be looking forward to excitement, is a July release. It's Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson. Major new hard science fiction novel. We, we've got an episode of the podcast coming up where we've interviewed Stan about the book that will be coming out in probably three or four weeks. And it, I think it's a terrific book. It's got, For me, it sags a little in the middle, but the opening is terrific, the back end is terrific, so... I really liked it. Well, I think, okay, what I think is important about that novel uh, is that if you're looking for what we have called and what our mutual departed friend Charles Brown called the conversation, if you're looking at a book that really enters into a critical discussion of science fiction's core ideas, it does that. Um, 
it's uh, when I say a critical discussion, there's a um, well, I, I don't know who thought up the phrase first. It's a critical fiction. It's a fiction that looks at a lot of the assumptions of science, works out the details uh, minutely, um, and and makes you rethink a whole trope uh, in a yeah. way that you hadn't before. Yes. Um, it's interesting that one of the novels which is out now, it's just being reviewed in most of the media, of course, is Neil Stevenson's Seven Eves, which has some some things in common with that. Yeah. Both Stevenson and Robinson love detail. They love lots of detail. Stevenson loves even more detail than Stan does. Um, but Stevenson is doing an end of the world novel. He's doing yeah. the same thing in a sense, re-examining the, the, the worldwide, it, it literally is the end of the world, uh, in the same way that Aurora is re-examining the Generation Starship trail. At two and a half times the length. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, I read some comments from Paul Whitcover about the book online uh, today, and to say that he was critical of it would be to, on, to understate his... his, oh, his, his would not like the novel at all. Um, but I think, and I've read some other reviews of it as well, uh, generally getting very good reviews, by and large, the people that don't have any patience with it are people that don't have patience with Neil Stevenson novels. And True. it is a particular breed of novel. Okay. To move on, another July title, and my list is basically alphabetical, so I'm going to sk- try and skip around and make it a little bit more varied than that. Joe Abercrombie concludes his uh, trilogy with Half a War, uh, which is due out in July. I have enormously enjoyed the trilogy, so I'm looking forward to the conclusion of that I started, greatly. I started reading that last night. And I hate I'm, you. I'm not. I'm not very far into. I have. I, hey, I'm, I'm a reviewer. I work for you. You send me these books. I have no choice. I am forced to read these books against my will sometimes. Oh but no! This one what's interesting to me about this series? I don't know what's going to happen in this one. There is a young princess in the first few chapters. Is a teenager, but he did a very interesting thing in the first two volumes. He started out with this young kid Yarvi, uh, who was deposed horribly and treated badly and they tried to kill him and he comes it's 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 a young kid's uh reclaiming the throne sort of thing it's it's, it's a great young adult adventure second volume yarvi is now an adult and two more teenagers third volume all these people are kind of grown up and married now and and the novel so far is not looking as much like a young adult novel as the first two did yeah. so i'll be very curious to see if he's sort of uh if if, if i mean, I mean I'm not long enough along to guess whether this Princess Scara is going to be the YA point of view character, or whether this is really kind of concluding a series with a more adult novel. Okay, well, she'll be interested. Yeah, okay. interesting strategy. Yeah, but okay. yeah, that's that's one of the major trilogies of of, of, of this cluster of years we're in. Okay, what else you got, Gary? Um. Well, okay. The first one I had circled here was Joe Abercrombie. There is. Um, Chris Barzak's Wonders of the Invisible World coming out in the fall. Mm-hmm. He's a writer who is, I know he's been working on this, um, always interesting, always has a kind of unique take on it, and I should know what this is about, but I don't. Okay, well, there you go. I've got a pair of debuts that I'm really looking forward to, Gary. Um, okay. One coming out in August, one coming out in September. Zochen's Sorcerer to the Crown. Zochen's a terrific short story writer, and this is her first major novel. Uh, it's coming out from Macmillan. Uh, it's a, a new start of a new fantasy series, I think. I'm looking forward to that. And, and Seth... She won the, or you remember, she won this year's Crawford Award also. Yeah. And Seth Dickinson has a book coming out called The Traitor Boru Cormorant from Tor, which looks terrific. And that's his debut novel. They were just talking about it and in I, a book thing. Okay, great. This, uh, this is something I know nothing about, so you're ahead of me there. Yeah, I have a copy here. Oh, great. Yeah. So, not for you, though. I've got my copy here. Anyway, continue. Yeah. No. What, what, do you have, what, what do you have next, Gary? What I have next is, well, let me, let, let, let me, let me do a group of things, uh, because it's something I love to review, and I think they're absolutely um, valuable. And that is best ofs. And you and I have done this with Subterranean Press. We co-edited the best of Joe Haldeman. Now we have... Uh, we're going to have the best of Gregory Benford. 
uh, we're going to have the okay. What are the other two coming? The best of Nancy Cress and, and, the, and best the best of Alistair Reynolds. Yeah, those are three writers who um, really deserve this sort of thing. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of Ben for short fiction that hasn't been collected. Uh, I think in a few years, um, some terrific stuff. Some some I mean stories that you wouldn't expect. Uh, Benford to do, like Doing Lennon, for example, and some of the really sharp stuff. Nancy Cress has always been a terrific short story writer. And again, her collection, it's the sort of thing you want to see them all at once. And I think the same thing's true with Alistair Reynolds, who I think most people think of in terms of really thick novels. Uh, but as as you know, as a year's best editor, there's some terrific short fiction there as well. I do. I mean, I, I agree with you about... Each of those books, in fact, there are actually four major best-ofs coming out from Subterranean. You, you've missed one, and I'll add it in in a moment. But uh, The Benford, I think, is a really interesting book. He's a very major hard science fiction writer and hasn't had the same profile in the last decade that he might have done. But book, you know, the Galactic Center series, you know, that six, mm-hmm. six books, is fundamental. Some of his short fiction is extraordinarily good. Hart, David Hartwell has edited this book, put together the made the selections for the I think thirty odd stories that are in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it provides a great overview of his career. Cress is what is better collected and more widely available and more current in a way, but well deserving mm-hmm. of, of a best of. I'm co-editing the, the the best of the Al Reynolds, or I've had input into the best of the Al Reynolds. Okay. So I've got some back and. Uh, Arguably, actually, at awards length, he's had much more... Uh, sorry, if, when it comes to awards, at short length, he's had much more success. I mean, his one Hugo nom- nominee is Troika, a novella. Ah. Yeah. Which yes. will be in this book, because I put my foot down and said it had to be. But it's a terrific book. The other best of that the same publisher, Subterranean, is producing is um, Beneath an Oil Dark Sea, Volume 2 of the best of Caitlin R. Kiernan. Which is, com- which is coming out in November at around the time of World Fantasy Convention. Now, the first of the, the bests of Kate, Caitlin R. Kiernan was a pretty extraordinary book. Yes, and, and, and this second one looks to be equally so. In fact, possibly even better given that it's her later work collected. Um, I'm more familiar with these stories. I'm familiar with both books. I'm looking, to it, looking forward to it very, very eagerly. has some great stuff. Now, let me add yep. one. And then, and you're right. The first one was, I think the first one really caused a lot of people to, uh, to re examine her career in a way. But, okay, you added one that, that I failed to mention. I will now add one that you've. I'm looking at it, so I know what it is. It's completely self serving, and that is um, the best of James Morrow. On my list, actually, as is another one, so yes. Okay, from, from Wesleyan, and again. Someone who is partly because his novels are so. Um, I, I don't know what the word is. I mean, people absolutely adore them, and in, 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 in very people who like satire, I guess, who like really fundamental satire. But some of the short fiction, and I, the reason it's self-serving is I wrote the introduction for this book. Some of the short fiction just absolutely hilarious and surrealistic, and still, when you look at a lot of it together, doesn't look like anybody else's fiction at it all. Doesn't. It's smart, smart stuff. And I mean, I would also point out it's coming from Wesleyan in November. Now, my experience with university presses is that uh, that these books come and go, and then they cost you $17,000 later, you know, if you try try and find a copy. So... I would strongly recommend pre-ordering Reality by Other Means. It's part of what is a real banner year for for, for Jim Morrow. Because, I mean, he had his, his novel out in January, uh, Galapagos Regained, which is a terrific book and which I hope won't get overlooked as the overall year progresses and we get through to year and review stages of things. Now, right, you, which happens sometimes. Which happens sometimes. Now, we've actually overlooked even another, because it, this is obviously the the backwards-looking forthcoming book section of the podcast, another yeah, right. best of that's due out. Now, it's been rescheduled several times, but this year we expect to see no fewer than four new books come out from Ian MacDonald. One of them is the best of Ian MacDonald, mm-hmm. which is due from PS Publishing, features a suite of his best novellas and short stories, and the only thing I could say of it is that it's going to be too short, and again, you're going to want to pre-order. PS are doing two other books of his, the Locomotive's mm-hmm. Graveyard, which is a brand new novella, and I assume may, I don't know this, be related to the Mars books. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a collection of his Mars stories. So the best of Ian MacDonald doesn't include the Mars stories. They're in a separate book called Mars Stories. So from PS, you've got the three. Best of Ian MacDonald, Locomotive's Graveyard, and Mars Stories, all of which I recommend. And well, that's in addition to his major new novel. Which was what I was going to segue to. Lunar New Moon, which is coming out in September from Tor and October from Golans, and which I'm about halfway through. And I'm starting that as soon as I finish the Joe Abercrombie. And to give listeners some background, it's a major new hard SF series. I think there's at least two of them. Um, and it relates directly to the story that he wrote for me for Reach for Infinity, The Fifth Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a second Fifth Dragon story in my anthology Meeting Infinity which is also coming out later this year so I think this is his, his, his new thing it's really really good stuff so anyway what else you got Gary? well since we're uh, only as we speak uh, about a week away from the Nebula Award ceremony one of whose nominees will be in the states maybe not for the first time but certainly I'm looking forward to meeting Sushin Lu who's Second novel in English will appear, this is The Dark Forest, uh, just about any time now, I guess, uh, in about another month or so. Yeah. Now, this is not translated by Kindle, uh, which will be fascinating by itself. And it's also the middle book in a trilogy. But there are so many plates spinning in the end of that first volume that you, you know this is... I don't always have this feeling reading a trilogy. And in fact, I normally don't like to read a trilogy. But when you have that many interesting ideas and unresolved hazards at the end of a first novel, I really, I really came out of the three-body problem thinking, it's probably going to take two more volumes to get, to, to get all this sorted yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking very much forward to the second volume in July, and I presume that the third volume will be out, if not at the end of the year, then early next year. It's not on any of the lists through March at the moment, so I'd say March, April next year sort of thing would be my guess. Okay. Now, I'd se- segue. It, it, I, I think Sissin Lu's um, The Three-Body Problem is the, the favorite in many ways for the Nebula, and possibly for the Hugo as well. I, I certainly have voted for it, I will be honest. But the third book in a major series is due out in October, Anne Leckie's Ancillary Mercy, Mercy which yeah. will follow, follow Ancillary Justice and Ancillary Sword, uh, will come out with, frankly, an enormous amount of pressure on this book, I think, Gary. It's going to be of interest. I think everybody who's interested in science fiction will probably pick it up. I hope they do. Uh But it has a tremendous burden on it, I think, because you've had the incredible success of the first book, a widely award-nominated sequel, which has had somewhat Mm. more mixed reviews than the first book, and a third book that now is asked to tie it all up and make it all pay off. So it's going to be quite interesting. Well, she's she's got to do that, and she's got to continue... Uh, from from listening to listen the various podcasts, which I wasn't on, it sounded, <laughs> like the second, but it sounded to me like the second one is, is 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 it never has the invention of the first novel in a trilogy. But but your your consensus, the consensus of your guest was that it's actually better written. Yeah, uh, and I think that's what James Bradley said that she really as she's she's cleaned up some of the uh, um, freshman habits that she had in the first novel so that sentence by sentence it's really clear so i think the pressure is double now people not only want the entire series wrapped up but they want it written even better than the second one was and she and the first one was no slouch she is no no not at all she's a very good writer i mean weirdly because it's my own habit i'm already looking forward to what she'll write once she's passed the trilogy but that that's certainly a book that i'm looking forward to i think everybody else should be what else you got gar well, let's see. Uh, there is... Um, you already mentioned Steve Johnson. Let me go to my second page. Oh, one other collection that we forgot because it'll be out in August will be the first thing uh, First thing we've seen from China Mieval for some time. And this is uh, a, a collection of sh- three moments of an explosion, a collection of short fiction, uh, um, some of which we've read before, uh, some of which I probably haven't. I actually haven't even looked at the collection yet, but Again, somebody who is, uh, whose reputation is very heavily based on novels, but some of whose short fiction has been um, at least as provocative as the novels, I think. Oh, I love his short fiction, and I love some of the short fiction that's in Three Moments of an Explosion. I think Polinia mm-hmm. and a couple of other stories are just terrific. Um, so I'm lo- lo- looking forward to that and to what he does next. There's already rumors of a possible novel in the new year, so we shall see about that. That's what you hear about, yeah. 
There's another collection, actually, Gary. Nalo Hopkinson has a collection due out in August. Go ahead. Nalo Hopkinson has a tachyon collection coming out. She does. Falling in, uh, falling in love with hominids. And Nalo is a fantastic short story writer. I expect dark magic strange sort of Jamaican bits and pieces and interesting science fiction all mixed in in her unique voice and I'm I'm very eager for it I am too and uh, and again these are things that you and I have probably seen but it's uh, it's unique it's a unique voice and it never uh, it never disappoints another collection since you mentioned collections would be um, from I think uh, another Nebula nominee Mary Rickert's the Corpse Painter's Masterpiece and Other Stories is coming out from Small Beer. Um, and, again, these are stories, The Corpse Painter's Masterpiece. Is that one that you selected originally? Is that Yes, it was. Yep. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's just a brilliant story. Again, it's like nobody else's. The uh, thing that I think is interesting about Mary Rickard is it looked like on the basis of her, uh, her banner year winning a World Fantasy Award for a collection and then a World Fantasy Award for a novella in the same year, uh, that I thought I'd gotten a, a, a you you think you've got sort of an angle on Mary Rickard stories, and then uh, she writes stories that are like nothing of the other Mary Rickard stories you've seen. So she's a very unpredictable writer. The Corpus Painter's masterpiece struck me as being a divergence for her. In the one hand, on the other hand. I couldn't imagine anybody else having written the story. Yeah, and it's interesting because the contents of this collection are going to overlap the previous two. Oh, they are? Yeah. Well, the the previous two have been out of print for some time now, right? No, I don't think they're out of print. Well, the... Golden Griffin aren't publishing new books, but I think you can still get their books. Okay. Okay, that's what I was thinking, the Golden Griffin. Yeah. Now, there are two other collections that are coming out that are on my list, Gary. Coming up very soon is Garth Nick's second short story collection, To Hold the Bridge. This is a mixed science fiction and fantasy and horror collection aimed at slightly older readers. He had a first collection come out a while ago. Um, and one of, I think one of the stories is repeated, uh, a major old kingdom novella called, in fact, To Hold the Bridge, which is the title of the collection. Uh-huh. And for my money, Garth is writing better right now than he ever has in his career. I think... That uh, that Clariel, the the third of the third of the fourth 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 of the Old Kingdom series, Clariel, is his best novel, pretty much, and mm. I think should be on the World Fantasy Award ballot if there's any justice in the world. And this comes hand in hand with that beautiful package, terrific book. The other, sorry, yeah, no, go, go ahead. The other collection that I that I have on my list. And I think it's the last collection I have on my list, but is one of the f- f- is, is, it sits into one of my favorite categories in all of science fiction and fantasy, oh, and that is that? the first collection. The first collection is I, I could bore you stupid talking for an hour about nothing other than the importance, value, and variety of first collections and how they need to be structured properly, and how the, what they say about the author and about the author's career and where they are in their career and all kinds of things. And you can look back at a string from. Lucia Shepard's Jaguar Hunter and um, uh, Crystal Express, Bruce Sterling's book, on through a whole bunch of absolutely stunning first collections. Oh, right. So this coming November, we will see The Paper Menagerie and other stories from Ken Liu. Of course. Which is a first collection that comes with no less weight upon it, and which I'm already excited about because Ken and Saga, well, Ken, well, Ken really, Ken has shown... Mm. Exactly the kind of foresight I would hope any collection, any writer would. He's ri- he's published more than 100 short stories, I think. Uh-huh. And he's winnowed them down to the 14 or 15 that are going to be in Paper Menagerie. Too often these days, because of the low barriers to publication, uh, short story collections get rushed into print. And you get just everything that's come out. This is going to be the best of the best of the first period of uh, Ken's career. That makes it interesting and major in and of itself, so I'm really excited for that one. Well, we, we, we could, we could, you're absolutely right. We could devote an entire podcast to talking about uh, how to arrange your first collection. I mean, Ken's reputation is solid enough, uh, not only with, uh, with, with his translation of Susan Liu, with The Grace of Kings, with the individual stories, winning world fantasies and Hugos and Nebulas and so forth and so on, but he also wants to present 
I guess, the image of the writer he wants to present. You're right, small presses, and not the small presses that we praise continually, but small presses will put out everything you've had sometimes. Uh, and it's not always um, the sort of thing that necessarily cements your reputation, especially if you don't have a lot of um, award-winning stories, if you yeah. don't have a high profile. Uh, there and and there there are very good writers, who whose first short story collection, even at that, is premature. Frankly, I think the Han Ryan Yimmy's short story collection is a little premature. There's some excellent stories in it. There's some stories in it that were there because you needed to fill out the book, basically. The, well, I don't know if he would feel that way, so I won't put those words in his mouth or his publisher's mouth. But certainly, there are times when I've looked at collections in the past and I've thought. You know, you've had, you've published fifteen stories in your career, and you've put fourteen of them in a book. Do you really think they're all that good? I mean, really? Now, I can think of one exception in the history of the field, and so can you. But he's really an exception. Two okay, my my exception well, okay, is Ted Chang with the stories of, of my life. And my exception, my my other exception is Eileen Gunn. Sure, fair enough. Yep. Had, oh, had had more stories than she put in her first. Well, she's had two collections now. Uh, but again, these are people who, the amount of effort they put into crafting a particular story, uh, there are people who write, I mean, the, the, the collected the short fiction of Tim Powers is still a slim volume, because he doesn't write very much. Uh, no. When he does write, uh, it's something which has very much the flavor of his novels. Yes, and, fact, it's, and it's true that even then, only half of it's remarkable. But yeah, it's true. Uh, which is true of anybody, I'm not putting Tim down at all. Um, so, okay, do you want to go next? What, what do you have next, Gary? Okay, well, one that's coming up um, fairly soon, to get back to novels for a minute, because it's just somebody... And actually, you reminded me of this when you were talking about Garth Nix, and I will leave you to figure out why you're mentioning Garth Nix. May, may mention that I'm looking forward to Michael Swanwick's darker and surplus novel, Chasing the Phoenix. I already know, Gary. Would it be because uh, both uh, Garth and Michael Swanwick have written series of short stories that are inspired by Fritz Leiber's um, Fafford the Grey Mouser stories? Garth with his uh, surplus and uh, Mr. Fitz stories and... Mm-hmm. No, surplus is... I'm getting them mixed up now. Surplus is, is, is Michael Swanwick. Mr. Mr. Yeah. yeah. But they've got their, their, their series of, of rogues and vagabonds series, of which your book... Is a second novel in in that world, right? It's a second novel, but it's the first one from Tor, which is interesting, as I recall. It's not yes, the first one yes. Tor as well. No, you're right. I think the first one uh, came out originally from our friends at Nightshade Books, and might ultimately have been moved on somewhere else. I think. But you're right. Chasing the Phoenix, which is the book you're talking about, is the uh, second major surplus novel, uh, Darger right. surplus novel, and is the possibly yes the first one from Tor. Right. That's what I'm thinking, and it. And I, I just read the first chapter because I always read first chapters, and it, I can tell you that it begins with Surplus bringing um, Darger's corpse into a city. Fantastic. Well, I can tell you that I mean, I, I'm a fan of the stories. I love the stories. I've enjoyed the first novel. I am very much looking forward to it, I'm a, and I'm a Stone Cold fan of his. Um, well, I'm still a fan of... Uh, I mean, at some point, uh, if we want to do historical material, we could devote a whole podcast to Fritz Leiber's influence, probably just with the Fawford and the Grey Mouser stories, because even Joanna Russ wrote stories uh, in, in that tradition. Samuel uh, Delaney did. Samuel Delaney did. Uh, there, there's and, and there's there's the kind of the pair of rogues, uh, the whole rogues collection. I suspect I have not read it. I must have had stories in it. It does have some. Yes. And in fact, believe it or not, and I'm sure you'll be surprised by this, Michael Swanwick's story in Rogues is in fact a Darger and surplus story. Of course. Of course. Believe it. Okay, my turn. Uh, this coming August, a book I've been looking forward to for quite some time, uh, Libba Bray, that smart, slightly sarcastic, incredibly funny and engaging writer, uh, comes along with a second of her series in her Flappers in the 30s supernatural story, uh, following on from The Diviners with uh, Lair of Dreams, uh-huh. which, I'm, which I'm looking forward to very much. The first book was enormous fun. And so... Uh-huh. Book, but uh, it's, it's, it sounds... I've certainly heard good things about it from you, among other people. Yeah, and so if, you, if, if, if you've not read anything by her, I recommend her work generally as well. Okay. Well, as long as we're looking at, at, at works that I'm anticipating, 
one which you and I know about, and this is, I don't feel guilty uh, recommending a book by a friend of mine when I know the friend of mine is a good writer. I mean, Garth Nix is a good friend of yours and a good writer, and you're lucky. Um, But there's a first fantasy novel, not really a first fantasy novel, but a first labeled fantasy novel coming out this fall from Cecilia Holland uh, called The Dragon's Heart. Yes. And Cecilia Holland is one of, and has been for decades, one of our leading historical writers, and yet um, is known, it's called Dragon Heart, is known mostly in the science fiction field for the one science fiction novel she wrote probably 30 years ago, Floating Worlds. Yes. uh, Which is a terrific um, science fiction novel that was written simply because she, according to her, ran out of time to do the research, so she just decided to make up the whole planet and and, and write a historical that way. But she's written about dragons. She did a series of Corbin Loosestrife of Viking novels that gradually segue into fantasy novels by the time they're done. It's, It's sort of the same attitude that Gene Wolfe had with his Soldier of the Mist novels. If you're writing a novel from within the worldview of people who believe in dragons and spirits and so forth, there are going to be dragons and spirits and so forth in it. So I think she's going to do a very good job of this. I know David Hartwell is excited about it, and I hope it brings her great success as a fantasy writer. I, I, I share your interest and your excitement. I, I, I love Cecilia. I love her work, and so I'm very, very eager to see a new book. And It's been too long since we've seen one, so... That should yeah, be interesting. Exactly. Hopefully it'll, be, it, will, it will do very well. Also of great interest to me in the fantasy science fantasy kind of area is Aliette de Badard's House of Shattered Wings, which, is her, which is her first novel from a major publisher having had a series of novels come out from Angry Robot, not to put ah. them down because they're a terrific publisher. But this one looks really interesting. The advanced word on it is great. The cover is great. And it'll probably be the next book that I read. Excellent. Which means you have a copy and I don't. That's right. Neener, neener. Thanks. Okay, fine. What do I have that you don't have? Everything, Gary. <laughs> you don't get to say a word to me on this subject. You have everything. All right, fine. Fine. You just <laughs> let it go. Um, we should. You know, one of the things we should not neglect to do, since we've covered a lot of the books that are actually technically forthcoming in prior podcasts, is not to ignore, for example, the fact that... Um, Nettie Okorafor's Lagoon is actually not out in the United States. Yet. No. And, and for those of you who are insane collectors, is getting its hardcover first edition. Mm-hmm. In a very handsome-looking edition, too, from, from our friends at, at um, Saga. Excellent. That'll be um, something I've not seen. But, again, this is... Uh, actually, let's see, we've already talked about the Book of Phoenix, which is out. Uh, but Lagoon is... One of the things I think it's interesting about about Nettie Okorafor in general, and we've said this to her, is that she seems to be having a lot more fun these days. Um, yeah. there, she is a serious and very angry and justifiably angry writer about all sorts of issues that affect not only Ni- Ni- Nigeria, feminist issues, political issue, imperialist, colonialist issues, and that sort of thing, all of which is certainly behind her most famous novel, Who Fears Death. And the question and, and the corruption in Nigeria is a serious issue uh, that is not disguised in Lagoon. But she's having so much fun with science fiction movie cliches and this sort of thing that it's 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 one of those novels which is both infectiously enjoyable and anger engendering at the same time. And I think that's really where she's ending up. She's becoming more of a satirist than she has been in the past. I think that's true. I think this is going to be a golden year in some ways, or if, no, a banner year, a banner year for standalone novellas. Okay. We've already talked about a major one coming from Ian McDonald from PS. There are two more that I'm going to mention. That I'm going to segue across to something else because uh, PS are publishing Waking in, w- w- Waking in Winter, which is a major new novella from Deborah B. and Coddy, who, ha- who is also working on some other stuff we'll talk about a little bit later, as well as Elizabeth Hand's Wilding Hall, which we spoke about just the other week, yes. and which is a terrific and major novella. And at the same time, Tor.com are launching their novella book series uh, in, the, in the back half of the year. And I think we'll see uh, a first K.J. Parker novella coming out from them, which I've read and enjoyed very much. So there's the McDonald, the Parker, the Biancotti, and the Hand are all books that I think are of interest. And the Jonathan Carroll. Yes, yes, absolutely. Indeed, Absolutely. 
We've just given uh, Paula Garan, hi Paula, the entire table of contents for her book. Mm-hmm. So is it my turn now? Do I? Have I think it my... is. Yes, you have. To, you say something interesting. So, I interesting. Yeah, interesting. come on, come on, come on, come on. It can't be hard. I'm, I'm looking at all these things we've already covered. Okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> second page of my list. So you're on the okay. second page. I've got a dozen left. Oh, come here's, on. Okay, here's here's somebody I think. Uh, and I don't know what it's going to be, and uh, I'm looking forward to it only because one of the guys who arguably invented steampunk, James Blaylock, um, has a novel coming out beneath London. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this because I'm just in the middle of sort of putting together notes for a lecture on steampunk. Uh, beneath London, how many Beneath London novels are there? Lots. How, Lots. And and so it takes a certain amount of self-confidence or chutzpah or historical credibility, which Blaylock has, to actually title a novel Beneath London. Absolutely. I mean, but he's been heading in this direction for a while. I mean, this is, I think, the third or fourth novel in the Langdon Sadive series. And it is a great series, and he's been very successful with it of late uh, for Titan. They do very handsome editions of these books. And the only reason it wasn't on my list, Gary, is it's actually a June 2015 book, so it's just before our cutoff period. Oh, okay. You're right. Well, that's okay. You can recommend it anyway. Well done. I'll recommend it anyway. (laughs) That was terrible. I shouldn't have said that. Okay. What else is of interest on my list? I'm going to recommend Prodigies by Angelica Gorodischer. I've only I, ever read one other book by Angelica Garodisha. It was a book called Kalpa Imperial, translated by Ursula Le Guin, who you might have heard mm-hmm. of. And Small Pre- Beer published that as well. If it's half the book that um, Kalpa Imperial was, it'll be terrific. This is tra- I'm looking at it now. It's translated by Sue Burke. And mm-hmm. I'm very curious about it, partly because I'm not entirely clear that it's a direct fantasy novel. It basically is about a series of women who live in a house which was occupied by the German poet Novalis in the early 19th century. And I'm fascinated by that because Novalis, first of all, is a very mysterious and important figure, a figure I personally believe is largely responsible for what became the modern fantasy genre. Mm -hmm. Novalis was very heavily read and very devoutly read by George MacDonald, who imitated Novalis in his novel Fantasties. George MacDonald, in turn, was read by C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. So there are, there's a lot of Novalis DNA throughout modern fantasy. And my guess is that Gerardisher knows that and that um, this is going to pick up on that. So it looks to me like a fascinating book, but I, I haven't started it yet, so I can't really <laughs> say much more about it. Yeah, She's somebody else that I would love to meet. Yeah. Okay. There's a few other uh, bits and pieces I have on my list still. Mm. Um, I would point everybody to the new David Mitchell novel that's coming out in October. He's always of interest, Um, even though apparently he himself has said that he's not a novelist. He tends to string together sets of novellas. But I am looking forward to the book, whatever form it might take. Uh, I'm also interested in Greg Bear's new novel, which is coming out in October. It's the the follow-up. It's called Killing Time, uh, Killing Titan. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Killing Titan. And Killing Titan is the sequel to War Dogs. Ah, okay. Which I am, in, you know, which I haven't, which I've sort of I've glanced at, but this looks good. Um, uh, one other book which you may be interested in, in looking at as well, Gary. Uh, Cameron Hurley is on her way to being a very major voice in our field. Yes. She uh, came out this year with, uh, I think it was Mirror Empire. Right. And she, or that was late last year. And she follows it this year with Empire Ascendant coming out from Angry Robot in October. Mm. And I think it's short. I mean, her books are really smart and angry and different and interesting. And they blend science and fantasy, science fiction and fantasy in a really interesting way. I don't really appreciate blending of genres in a, you know, for itself. But I think she tends to cherry pick the sort of the toolkit in a really interesting way. And if Empire Ascendant is as good as The Mirror Empire, it would be a terrific book. I think you're right. Um, there's one novel which I think anybody is going to have to put on the list, which I have listed here as an October novel, the new Gene Wolfe novel, A Borrowed Man. Um, and again, and, and, and I've talked to David Hartwell, and, and this apparently is 
Well, every time I talk to David, he he explains why this is the best novel of its type that Gene has written, and Gene has written so many <laughs> different types that that doesn't ever mean anything to me. So, um, so I gather this is a bit more science fictional than uh, than what we've seen recently. Yep. But apart from that, I don't know much about it. No, it's on my list as well. I know it's coming out in October. Uh, I expect to see mysterious tweets from Neil Gaiman about how much he loved it any time now, mm-hmm. because they that, that always happens. Okay. Um, on my list as well, coming from my friends, so I admittedly I hear I have a conflict of interest, Gary, mm-hmm. but a recommendation for a book from Solaris. In November, they will publish Europe at Midnight by Dave Hutchison, the follow-on from Europe in Autumn, uh, which came out last year and ended up on awards ballots, whatever else, as one of the, sort of the darker, savvier, more cynical, near-future science fiction pos- novels you could possibly hope to read. And I'm very eagerly looking forward to reading this. And I'm looking forward to reading both of them because I did not get Europe in autumn. I, first of all, I love the titles. Yeah. Um, the titles, I don't know where the titles come from. The titles are very much like the titles of Max Ernst's surrealist paintings. Uh, and I don't know whether he had that in mind at all. I'm sure he um, does. <laughs> this, this is a very dark, broken, sort of near-future Europe. And it's, very, it's really interesting. And if you haven't read Europe in autumn, I would recommend it very strongly. It was one of the best science fiction novels of last year. Do, do you, okay, so, but this is a book that uh, it seems to me got a lot more attention in the UK than it did in the United States. Well, I mean, our our lists here, yours and mine, have blended British and American books quite quite smoothly, and really haven't. In, in fairness to the rest of the world, haven't really looked at forthcoming much outside that scope. Unfortunately, well, that's true. We haven't. Um, but yes, unfortunately, even though all of the Solaris books are published simultaneously, pretty much. In the U.S., usually with a larger print run in the U.S. and are more available in the U.S. than the U.K., mm-hmm. the U.K. readership has been more willing to embrace them than the U.S. readership has been to date. So this could be a topic for a podcast as well, because it seems to me that even though there was there was this debate which went on some years ago and still crops up in the U.K., the the, the debate about Inner Zone being too cynical and dark and, and so forth and so on. But there are some brilliant novels like. Europe in Autumn and, and, and Europe in Winter, I have no doubt, are among these. I would count Simon Ings's Wolves among these that are really uh, smart, savvy, well-thought-out, um, character-driven novels about fairly bleak futures. And actually, um, there, there are quite a few of these. And yet they don't seem to be gaining the attention in the United States they do in the UK. And I know, that, I know there are American writers who believe that British writers are just too cynical, but guess what? They thought that in 1850 also, so this is not... <laughs> well, I guess what I'd say is, I mean, I could put together a list of British writers, whether it be Gwyneth Jones, whether it be Nina Allen, whether it be Christopher Priest, whether it be Adam Roberts, who has a new novel coming out in, uh, in December called The Thing Itself that is on my list, whether it be Paul McCauley, who's something coming through as a terrific book but got almost no play earlier in the year, uh, whether it be Alistair Reynolds, whether it be Stephen Baxter, whoever... Uh, British writers just don't get the awards or the attention generally in the U.S. that they do in their home country. And it's unfortunate because particularly some of the finest hard science fiction we're seeing published at the moment comes out of the U.K. and it, it gets overlooked. But when did that happen? I mean, When, when did it not happen, I'm Gary? Hmm? When did it not happen? I grew up reading Arthur C. Clarke and John Wyndham and John Christopher and John Blackburn. Everybody named John seemed to come from the UK when I was a kid. Um, Brian you, uh, Ald- you're not suggesting that if we just changed everybody's name to John, this would solve the problem? Probably would, now that we do it. <laughs> Does this explain why John Scarcey is so successful? Of course. Hey, we may have a theory going on here, absolutely. Um, but... The, the point is that the, part of the fabric of, grow, of, of science fiction in the 50s, 60s, and 70s was reading British writers. And when mm. I was a kid, I didn't even know that they were British writers. Uh, well, and, I, it seems to me that that shifted. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I've always been a little puzzled as to why it matters at all anyway. You know, you'd think that if a book is published ideally in the in the U.S. and it's from, from a British writer, that the, to most readers it would be irrelevant, you know, really is what you would hope. But that doesn't seem to be the way it plays when we when books get discussed in the field. Um, I, I I I don't know. Maybe maybe it's 
maybe it's nothing but the sort of vagaries of publishing and uh, and agents and that sort of thing. But it just strikes me that uh, for years everybody was saying Stephen Baxter is the new Arthur C. Clarke, and Stephen Baxter has written a lot more than Arthur C. Clarke did during his career. That's yeah. true, but a lot of it is very very good stuff. And yeah. Stephen Baxter does well in the United States, but he still seems to be thought of by American readers as a British writer. And my point is, we didn't used to make that distinction at all. Yeah, I don't know why. And I mean, of the few books that are remaining on my list to talk about, I mean, Adam Roberts, mm -hmm. who's, who's some, someone who's yet to have the, the traction in the US that he, he deserves with a major new novel. You mentioned Steve Baxter, who's got a long Earth book novel coming out and also a New Zealand collection coming out. Um, you know, and that should be interesting. That's coming out in September from, from Golan's. Mm -hmm. who, who are, if you like, the, the tour of uh, the tour of the UK, the the, the major uh, non North American science fiction publisher in the world, I would say. And one other book which we've we've already done a podcast on this, but again, because we talked about it before, doesn't mean we should mention it now. Is that our friends, starting with Margot Lanigan and Scott Westerfeld and Debbie and Cotty, we had a we had a discussion of zeros, which I just was fascinated by the discussion, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, me, me too. It's on my list. It's one of the last couple of things I have on my list before we get to the end of uh, end of the whole thing. And speaking of the end of the whole thing, that's on my list as well. Uh, John Scalzi in August would deliver the end of all things, the latest old man's war novel. Uh -huh. And I have to admit, I have been pulled in from the first. The first time I picked up a copy of Old Man's War to read on a plane flying from Melbourne back to Perth, I've been sucked in and enjoyed them, and I expect to enjoy this one just as much. There was a lot of fun and interesting. So I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be. He's a very, he's a very enjoyable writer. And that ends my list, Gary. Even though I could have probably added more. I'll add one. Oh wait, no, no, never, never mind. That's March 2016. That's it. See, I've got a dozen books or more from uh, January through March. Uh, what, one of okay. which is, as a hint, go back and read that Paul McCauley novel I mentioned. If you haven't read it already, something coming through, listeners. I recommend it strongly. Absolutely, it's an excellent novel, and uh, it's uh, and it's, it's 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 kind of the first first thing that Paul McCauley has done since he's been doing the Quiet War series, as our yes, uh, we call it. It's very interesting. Um, we did we did not mention this again because we're only a, a few weeks ahead of it. We didn't mention that uh, Subterranean has a K.J. Parker novel, um, mm -hmm. Savages, uh, which is, I guess. I, I guess even though it was not written with uh, Tom Holt's name on it, it could have. Now, this is—is is this going to be the first KJ Parker novel to appear after we? Yeah. Uh, sort of revealed his identity. First KJ Parker collection to come out post the announcement of, of, well, other than the online serialization of his ongoing new novel. Oh, let me. Here, here's one I want to ask you about because I don't know the details about it. But again, it's Saga Press, and our friend Joe does good things. He's got the New London Nagata novel scheduled for November. Uh, that's not a new novel. It's not a new novel. Is that's that that's the red. One? If you recall, well, Linda Nagata wrote, uh, started to write a trilogy as a self-published venture, and she right. wrote, she wrote the red, uh, and then she wrote a second book, and then she ended up withdrawing them both and selling the whole trilogy to Saga, and right. so. What was called the Red First Light, I think, has now been retitled and is coming out, and that's the first. And that should be really good because, uh, amongst other things, I know Linda speaks very highly of the edit that was done on the book uh -huh. by uh, by Joe. So, in many ways, I, she may well choose, I don't know, to view it as its first real appearance. But that book was up for the Nebula, if you recall. Yes, I know. First, if I'm not mistaken, the first self-published novel to be a Nebula nominee. Yes, yes, indeed. And one of the one of the since you know more about this than I do, a writer who I've always admired and who's been uh, terribly overlooked in the last several decades is Lisa Goldstein, who has Weighing Shadows. I don't know whether it's a collection or a novel from Skyhorse Nightshade. I um, think that's a novel. I think yes, and is continuing what I was uh, what I was beginning to look at and see. Well, there's a question that, that I just when I saw that, that that came to my mind. And I wasn't going to raise it in the context of this conversation because it's not really a forthcoming books kind of a question. Yeah. But is Nightshade books being rehabilitated? Um, there are two questions I have. There was one, uh, and I can't remember what it, what it was now. There was one book on the list that was, um, oh, Jack Katie. Yeah, from Resurrection Jack House. Katie. 
Resurrection House, which is another sort of um, piece of flotsam from the original Nightshade. Is that a good way to say it? Uh, well, I don't think that's even really fair. I mean, it was a... Uh... It happened around the same time, so it gets sucked into because Historically, listeners, if you don't recall, when Nightshade Books was in the process of being bought out, uh, right. one of its principals went off and began to start another business with right. Mark Teppo. Now, right. the, the Nightshade principal was not stopped being involved, and Mark Teppo continued to set up his own standalone publishing business, Resurrection Mark House, Teppo. which is what that is. Yes. Right. Well, I, just by uh, by way of a footnote, Jack Cady is a terrific writer of strange short fiction. Uh, oh, and the book is extraordinary! Uh, Northwestern's U.S. set stories. Yeah. Um, the night we buried Road Dog it's is just 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 an amazing yeah. story. And if you haven't read it, you should rush out and and read it, preferably now. So yeah, you're right about uh, the, the the whether Nightshade has been resurrected, what Skyhorse is doing, who's doing what at that point. But again, if they're and this is one of the things we have to say in memoriam to to the original Nightshade with writers like um, Jack Cady uh, and, and 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 Lisa Goldstein, they they had they had good t- they were doing M. John Harrison collections, for example. Uh, so. So I'm glad to see Lisa Goldstein in print under her own name again. I hope that this is, I hope she's still working, and I hope I wish the best for her, and I hope the book does well. Me too. Me too, indeed. And does that bring us to the end of this six-month block of forthcoming? Well, people are going to sort of, they're going to write in and say, well, you've left off all sorts of things, as we have. I have no doubt about that. Uh, I went through... I'm going to blame Locust for it. I went through the selected books by author, which if you get Locust tomorrow will be the first chunk of what you see. But again, there are all kinds of books coming out that I did not even look at. There are books coming out by people I've never heard of. There are books that will be complete surprises to me. And to some extent, as much as I look forward to a Gene, a new Gene Wolfe novel, you know a Gene Wolfe novel is going to be brilliant. It may yeah. not be brilliant in the way you expect it to be. But And it's exciting to see, but you know what it's going to be. There's a novel out there by somebody I've never heard of that will come in the mail with nothing going for it, and it'll just blow me away. And that when that happens, it's just a great feeling. Yeah, I agree. And certainly in amongst this group, I mean, today we've talked about you know, fat fantasy novels, uh, very smart hard SF novels, first collections, career retrospectives, um, Probably everything except, in fact, even a little touch of horror, not much horror, uh, but right. pretty much something for everyone. And so I really do, you know, recommend it, you know, sort of hope that people look it out. I'll put the list that we've discussed, or most of the list we've discussed, uh, up on, with the show notes when you send them to me, Gary. And we'll get the episode out to you. Do you like that? Uh, we'll get the episode out later today. All right. We will talk to you again on the Good Street Podcast. Soon, next weekend, we'll have to see. Well, that's right, because as we record, dear listeners, it, we are we sit on the eve of the Nebula Awards. Uh, uh, in fact, a, a, a nominee shortlist that you and I didn't discuss at all, Gary. We 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 didn't. Maybe we should do one. <laughs> really. We should do one. Right, we could sneak one in. I don't know, we Gary. Could, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. We'll be at the Nebula Awards banquet since it's here in Chicago, and I'll be. Uh, doing some things that weekend, so we should. Well, look, look, let's let's play it by ear. We might be able to sneak a podcast in. Aren't you presenting at these awards, Gary? I believe I am. I want to. Uh, I, I'm always convinced when I get invited to present an award that it's a mistake, and they claim it's not. So I may be presenting an award at the Nebula. Yeah, I, I will say this: that um, three or four of my favorite novels of the year are on the best novel ballot. Um, I mean, I love The Three-Body Problem by, by Cixin Lu. Mm. I loved Catherine Addison's The Goblin Emperor. I really liked Ancillary Sword, though I thought it was a little flawed. Uh, I think Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation is the high point of his career so far. So I'm going to be very, very interested to see what comes out of the uh, awards next week. I looked at the entire ballot before uh, b- before agreeing to, to, to present one of the awards, and it occurred to me that this is 
a far, let me put it this way, a far less annoying ballot than some others I can think of. Oh, sure, sure. As, as will happen from year to year. But I'm going to be, very, going to be fascinated. And, of course, you'll, you'll, you'll all be being manly men at, at, at this awards as you, as you present them. I'm sure you'll, you'll come out in your lumberjack shirt with, a, with, with an axe or something. I'm going to sing I'm a lumberjack and I'm, I'm okay. okay. <laughs> Just get you just given me the entire idea I need for presenting the award. You should know, dear listeners, if you don't, that the, the, the reason we're joking about this is because the presenter is uh, a character from Parks and Recreation, a, a manly man, if ever there was one. So. Manly man, or a parody yes. of a manly yes, man. Yes, yes, right. uh, Nick Offernan is his name. Yes. He's a well-known actor in the States and sitcoms. Yeah. So, with that... We have given you shopping, people, dear listeners. Please feel free to recommend back to us in the comments on uh, the podcast webpage, or you know, which is at jonathanstrand.podbean.com, or uh, when this comes out on Cooch, uh, at uh, Twitter.com when they syndicate it, or even on our wonderful um, Twitter feed at, at Cooch Street. In fact, tell us at Cooch Street. We'd love to hear what you think we should be reading. So, we will look forward to advice. Until then, we'll talk to you again soon. Talk to you again next week. Okay, bye.